Well, we are in 2 Timothy. Um, if you've been with us this fall, you've known we've been working through this letter, a letter from, uh, from Paul to Timothy. Uh, it is... Um, it is, we've titled it The Final Words from Paul because it is the last, we think, recorded a letter. Paul wrote lots of things. This seems to be the last one. And now we're in chapter four, so it's the last chapter. So we're kind of getting to the final words of the final words. And when that happens, uh, the words tend to take on a, a bit more significance. If you know that you know, you're going to leave someone for a long time, maybe forever, those final words that you speak, they have a kind of a weightiness to them. Uh, certainly people, before they die, the, the last words, those are words that you want to listen to. There's generally a significance there, and that is true for, for Paul. This last chapter contains, uh, yes, some final greetings and that sort of thing. We're going to get to that, but also some, some very key exhortations for Timothy as a pastor, as a preacher. That's, that's the focus today. Uh, what it is that Timothy is called to is to, is to preaching. So, uh, it's kind of an interesting text in the sense that the primary audience, like the one who's supposed to receive this, is, is of course at first Timothy. That's kind of always been the case. It's a letter to Timothy, so it's to him. But we know that the letter is meant for, for the whole church. Uh, we know this because of actually the grammar in, in the letter. Uh, the final, when we get there, the final sentence we're going to see ends with the word you. Paul writes, the, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. In the English, you can't tell if it's singular or plural, but in the Greek, it's plural. So Paul is writing to you, the, the church. But here in our text, the yous are singular. So Paul really is speaking directly to Timothy, and the next uh, best kind of audience would be those who are in Timothy's position, which in this context is, is actually me, not so much you. So this text is, is more written to those who preach, which is a little interesting, uh, you know, I could have just, I guess, stayed home. You could have stayed home, right? I could have just preached myself. But, uh, but there, there is actually a huge benefit in the church hearing what God has to say to those who preach. That's, that's what we're going to hear this morning. And so the application will, will be, in a sense, primarily to me and those who preach. But there is also something to be gained from understanding what, what should happen when preachers preach. And that's, that's what we're going to look at. So uh, let's look at the text. I'll read verses 1 to 5. And then we'll go from there. Paul writes, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So, that's God's word this morning. Uh, there is one point of this sermon, because I think there's just one point, one main point of this text, which is simply this, preach the word. Preach the word. That is, that is really what Paul says to me. This is what you should do. And what I'd like to do is just ask some very sort of basic questions about what this means. So what does it mean? Uh, how are we to do it? Why, why are we to do it? That sort of thing. So first question, what, is, what does this mean? What does it mean that Timothy should preach the word? And I think the answer we get from the text is it means that he is to proclaim Jesus Christ. That, that is 
That is the intention. I take that because if you look at the wording, preach the word, those just Greek words, preach, uh, you can translate it proclaim or to herald, right? Fancier word. Uh, meaning to, to speak loudly, to speak emphatically, to speak with passion, right? To proclaim something. And the something is the word, uh, the Greek word logos, right? The, the message, the, the truth of scripture, Christ himself. And we see this in the way that Paul writes about his preaching, about what he did when he planted churches and helped churches to grow. And so there's a few texts I want to look at just to understand, okay, when he says preach the word, what, what exactly does he mean? And so the first one we're going to look at is Acts 20, uh, 26 to 27. This is Paul uh, speaking to the same church. When he left the Ephesian church, he, he said this, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So Paul is saying, as your pastor, I'm, I'm innocent in the sense I've done my job, which is what to, to declare, or you could say proclaim, to preach the whole counsel of God. Everything that God wanted you to know, I have done that. And if you're wondering, well, well what is that? What is the whole Council of God, what is it the church needs to hear? Uh, we can look to some other uh, of Paul's writings, 2 Corinthians. To that church, he writes this, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And so there you have a bit of a, a contrast, or he's distinguishing what could be preached from what should be preached. The implication here is we could have preached ourselves, uh, which, which probably means um, our own ideas, our, our own earthly wisdom, our own philosophies, our own stories, our own personality, right? To preach yourself would be the preacher coming up and really what you're getting is his, his vision for life, his best ideas of, of, of what God wants. That's not what Paul did. Paul said, right, that's... that's we didn't proclaim that. We proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord. That is, that is the content of his preaching. That is the, if you were to sum it up, that is the thing that he, he proclaimed to the Corinthian church, the Ephesian church. That is what it meant for him to preach. And we see this in even more sort of explicit detail uh, in an earlier letter. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 2, he says again to them, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So there again, a bit of uh, distinction. I could have come with lofty speech, eloquent words. Uh, I think we know what this looks like. This is usually fun to listen to, right? Someone who's a good orator, Right? A, lot of, a lot of great stories, a lot of great seeming wisdom. And Paul says, I didn't, I didn't come like that. Uh, Paul is basically saying, I didn't come as the best speaker, the best public speaker. But what I came with was Christ. Right? I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The whole counsel of God, in a nutshell, is, is Christ himself. The gospel. His work on the cross for his church. And Paul is saying, that, that is what I gave you. That is the essence. Timothy, if you're going to preach the word, what is the word? It's Christ. The word became flesh. The word is what people need to hear. Now, in reading these verses, there's another kind of distinction, right? The content is made very clear, what should be preached. But also, 
a bit of uh, what it should look like. And I think what we see here is a distinction between just public speaking and preaching. Uh, public speaking is something that we all probably had to do in elementary school. Uh, not surprisingly, perhaps, I was someone who liked it when it was time for speeches, right? Uh, you know, I don't know if they still do it, but you had to give a speech every year. It could be on anything. It could be football. It could be frogs. Just had The teacher just wanted everyone to get a chance to get up and say something. And I found that I kind of liked it. So much so that in junior high and high school, I would voluntarily enter public speaking contests. Go to a place, I know it's weird, they would give you a topic, you'd spend two hours and you'd give a speech, I thought it was fun, uh, debating I thought was fun. So when I uh, got called into ministry and then feeling like church planting and, and thought maybe I, maybe I should preach, I also thought to myself, well maybe this is what God has been preparing me for. Like I have been sort of doing this and kind of liked it and I think that was partially true. That, that what I'm doing right now is speaking in public, so there's some aspect, you should be somewhat comfortable and skilled in that. But public speaking and preaching is not the same thing. And uh, this became very clear in my early preaching days, we would have reviews. I was at Westside Church, um, some of my early sermons, uh, they would have reviews, really helpful, uh, really kind of excruciating, you'd get in a room after, everyone would tell you what you did wrong. And uh, one of the things... <laughs> One of the comments that one of the guys made, it wasn't meant to be cutting, but it really kind of impacted me. He said, you know, Matt, when you're preaching, it, it kind of sounds like you're giving a talk, like you're just giving a, a speech. And I was like, oh, well, that, that makes sense. That's, what I have, that's the only thing I've ever done is just to give a talk. But there's a difference. What he meant is there's a difference, though. When you're public speaking, you're, you're usually trying to transmit information. TED Talks are interesting because someone's speaking about something, and you learn more, and, and sometimes it's motivating, right? Sometimes you take certain things, you apply it to your life, that's, but generally it's information. But in preaching, what we're really wanting to have happen is, is transformation, is, is a spiritual work that comes through the preaching of the word, that, that there's a heart impact that goes beyond simply us understanding what God is saying. That's necessary, but there's something more powerful that's going on. And so we need a skill set for good preaching. Uh, that's something that we care a lot about. Um, so for example, a few weeks ago, Tim and I went to a preaching workshop uh, by Simeon Trust, which is this organization that wants to help people preach better. And the whole focus was on uh, what, what we believe in here is uh, expositional preaching. Expositional preaching uh, means you exposit the word. So what you, if you've been here, you know we go through books, go through chapters, go through verses. And the, the goal is that when you hear a sermon, you are hearing the main idea of the text is the main idea of the sermon. And that, that you go away being able to wrestle with the word of God itself. And so to do that, there is some skill involved. You need to study it properly. You need to understand what the given text is, what the structure is. And that's what this workshop was about. We, would, we practiced getting a text outlining it, saying, here's how we would preach it, and people would get feedback. I think you missed something there. How would you apply that? And it was, it's good to build those skills. But we shouldn't have the idea that good preaching is simply a proficiency in exegesis, right? Unpacking the text, rhetoric, and public speaking. There is more going on, there should be more going on in good preaching than simply that. And I, I say that because of some other things that Paul said uh, in 1 Corinthians. I just, we just read chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, him crucified. Then look at verse 3. And I was with you 
in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So think about what Paul is saying there. He's saying, I didn't come with really great oratory skills because I, I, I didn't want for you to be compelled simply by my good speaking. What, what is needed is that there is a power that comes and that power is in the word of God empowered by the spirit of God. So as I study through the week, the spirit of God, I'm in prayer. Lord, help me to understand what this text is saying and, and then, Lord, what you want to say to your church, to this particular local church. Every passage, the meaning doesn't change, but the application, the emphasis, it, it, it comes by the Spirit working in me and then working in you as followers of Christ. And that is a supernatural thing. That, that is something beyond just what a good speaker can do, a good public speaker. And, and you see this throughout the history of the church. Uh, you see this in, uh, for example, uh, there's, there's two um, uh, pretty famous uh, preachers uh, one of them is, is Charles uh, Haddon Spurgeon. The other one is uh, McCartney. Spurgeon is kind of more well-known uh, in the late 1800s, uh, spoke in London. He was incredibly famous at the day. This was a time when like the culture was excited about preaching. And so there'd be thousands of people that would come. They had to build bigger buildings for him. Uh, his sermons were transcribed and they were published like the next day and people would buy them actually. So it was a different culture, but he was called the Prince of Preaching and one of the quotes I heard from him in terms of his process, I mean, he, he was saturated with the word of God. He wrote out his sermons, what he wanted to say. But when he came into the pulpit, he would just have a small little note card uh, just with his outline. And as he, as he came up, he says what he would say is this, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Because he didn't have his whole manuscript, right? He, he didn't come just to, here's the things that I figured out, I'm just going to read. He, he came to speak in the Spirit of God, the Word of God. And he knew that what was absolutely necessary was that the Spirit would be at work in him and that he would believe that as he spoke, that God had the power to transform hearts and to impact his church. And so he was committed to the Word of God, clearly, but also working in the power of God. I had that in my mind, and then McCartney, I was reading about him, and here was, so he, um, he lived to about, he was 70, when he was near death. I mean, this is a guy in uh, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia. He pastored a few different churches. Again, hundreds of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of, no, I don't know the math, lots of sermons. Uh, he was someone that people would flock to as well. And so this is something he said to his brother, who was going to preach. A lot of them, I guess, were preachers. And he kind of gave like a, like a final, like you're going to go preach. This is what he said. He said, put, put all the Bible you can into it. That was his advice. If you're going to go speak, if you get a chance to preach, what is his advice? Put all the Bible you can into it. I, again, I think informed by what Paul said. Not your own ideas. Not, not, don't give a lot of fluff. Just give the word. And I give those two quotes because what I want us to understand, these are not contradictory things. These two things must go together for good preaching, for proper preaching, that the word of God is preached in the power of the spirit of God so that the people of God may be built up, may be transformed to then go and do the work of God. So a couple of application points before we go any further. Uh, firstly, application point for me. Uh, the application I see here is that I would continue to do this and do it faithfully. 
that my time in study, my time in prayer would be seeking the word of God. What is it that God wants to say to us as a people each Sunday? And that I would lean into the spirit, right? Not, not to the exclusion of the word, but so that the word might actually come alive and be powerful. The application for us as a church uh, is, is in one sense, look, we, we, we all have opportunities to proclaim Christ. Not, not preaching per se, but we should look for those, right? We're gonna come, come back to that. But the second thing is uh, more of a, a practical thing, which is that as the church, we should not settle for weak preaching. Be it here, right? What I'm describing is a standard that, that you should be looking for, right? That if you see a, a tendency to, I don't know what, straying in some direction, that that should be something that we are not satisfied with, that we talk about. And certainly, if we were going to move churches, like we're going to, they were moving cities, or one of our friends is going to a, a city, at the top of our list, in terms of what church we want to be a part of, should be this. There's a lot of other things we look for in a church. Practical, you know, sort of things, community things. But if this actually is God's word to the pastor, the church in Ephesus, and to all churches, this, is, this should be a weighty thing that we should see that if I'm gonna submit myself to the preached word, I want this. I, I want the full measure of what God has for me. So that's what it is. Second question is why? Why should this happen? And the thing, the answer I see here in, in the text is it should happen because the stakes are high. The stakes are very high. Uh, look at verse one. This is the charge. I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Why does, why does Paul bring up all of these, these weighty things, the presence of God, Jesus Christ to judge the living and the dead, what is he doing? He's giving context. He's giving a sense of motivation. Hey, Timothy, I think what he's saying is this. Don't forget that Jesus is coming back and that there are human beings all around you and even in your church and they have eternal souls and those souls are on the brink of eternity. Jesus is going to come to judge the living and the dead, meaning he's going to get, judge the living, those who are in Christ, alive in Christ, unto greater life and those who are dead in their sin unto eternal death. Saying that's the context, Timothy, in which you need to preach. You need to understand, right? That, that human beings, if we don't hear this message, if we don't hear Christ proclaimed, him crucified, him risen, that there is no hope for humanity. There is a day of judgment. So what we don't need, what we don't essentially need are a lot of tips, a lot of self-help, a lot of just practical lifestyle management skills. That that is fine to some degree or in some context, but essentially what the church needs, what humanity needs is the word preached in, in the, full, the full context of the, the full counsel of God. And, and even in the verse, we see why this is so important. And that's because there's gonna be a lot of people who don't want to hear it, who have ears that are turned off, right? That's what verse three says. Preach the word, why? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. When I read that, it, it sounds like it was written today, doesn't it? Like it sounds like that describes us. It's amazing. It was written 1,900 years ago. It tells you, first of all, human beings haven't changed that much. 
uh, that God knows us and he knows what we need to hear. And he, he's saying to the preachers back then and to today, look, that the, the people around us, our nature is not to want to hear these kinds of eternal weighty things. Uh, our, our nature is to want to, to what? To accumulate teachers that suit our own passions, right? We don't, want to, we don't want to endure sound teaching. There's a lot of churches you can go to where you don't have to endure sound teaching. That there are stadiums filled up with, with Christians who are hearing messages that don't mention sin at all, right? They just, they mention, look, God loves you. God's for you. He has a plan for you. He wants you to be blessed. Just, just respond in faith. And all of that is true, but it misses the essential component that unless you know that you've been separated from God because of your sin, how are you ever going to fully come into relationship with him? And, and yet, this, this is true. There, there are many who accumulate teachers, the people they listen to. It's e- I think it's easier now, right? Uh, back then, you would, you would have itinerant teachers that would come around and, and you would... You, people would follow certain ones. Remember, uh, you know, Paul rebukes the church, right? Don't, some of you follow Apollos, some of you follow me, right? You're sort of choosing. But now, we don't even have to make, we just have it on our phone, right? We can subscribe or like to the podcast we like, to the preachers we like, uh, to the YouTube channels we like. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. We get lots of great teaching, but we filter it through what we think we like, what we think is best for us. And that's a problem because we have huge blind spots, so we could end up listening to a certain kind of teaching that, that we sort of have a taste for, which is a different thing than being part of a local church where we walk in the doors and you are not really in control of what you hear. And that's a good thing for all of us because it's, it's dictated by, by what the word says. And, and the, hopefully the pastor is faithful to simply say what God is, is saying because the tendency is for us to turn away. For us to kind of, we have itching ears to be whatever, encouraged, to be affirmed, right? That's what we want. We want actually people around us to affirm the way that we're living. We'll feel better about it, feel better about ourselves. When he says wander off into myths, uh, back then that would have been like Greco-Roman myths, which uh, were very uh, compelling for the culture at the time, right? They they like the stories, the adventure, the sense of kind of significance, Uh, but it it fell far short of, of real eternal help because uh, the culture around myths was simply to kind of celebrate and have some allegiance to these, these grand heroes or gods or whatever they were, but they didn't actually transform the soul. And I would say that we also have myths like this, many of them, right? Think of what we teach our kids. What do we say to them? You are a snowflake and what you really need is for someone just to nurture you and love you just as you are and for you to grow, right? If, you could just, if that could happen, if you could be the best version of yourself, that is our best view for you. That's a myth. It's not, it's not best for a child to simply know that they have everything good in them that just needs to come out. They need to know that they're far from the Lord. There are lots of myths like this, right? That, that we deserve health and happiness. That God... Uh, just loves us as we are and doesn't demand anything from us. Just doesn't want us to change. Just wants to affirm us. There are myths in our culture, myths in the Christian church. And when we are drawn to those kind of myths, it means then that our, our appetites change for what we want to hear. And this is not something new. Uh, here's a, a section from Isaiah just to sort of show you how human beings have not changed. Isaiah 30, speaking about the people of God at the time. 
Look at, look at how they are described. For they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, who say to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right, speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Why don't they want to hear about the Holy One of Israel? Because if you're talking about holiness, then that means that you're probably going to consider whether I am holy or not. We're the people of God. We're called to be a holy people. That means that there's a standard. There's righteousness. And as soon as we talk about God's holiness, we, we know right away we are not. And they don't want to hear that. They want a prophet that's going to just, you know, give them a pat. It's hard. Life is hard. You're doing great. Do you love God? That's all, that's all that matters. And, and we do the same thing. We don't need preaching that just puffs us up. We need preaching that wakes us up to the reality of, of life, the reality of sin, the reality of death. There is death coming, an eternal death for all those who are separated from Christ. Our culture does not want us to think about these things. Uh, I was reading, I was rereading a book, um, uh, Brave New World, you know, that famous book by now by Aldous Huxley, written in 1930, something, amazingly. It's a short uh, little book, but it's about a utopian society, future utopian society, where everyone is controlled by pleasure. It's basically what it's about. The whole kind of people in charge have organized life so that everyone has, is entertained, uh, has pleasure. Uh, has a sense of happiness. That is the common goal, and it is achievable. They do it through narcotics, do it through entertainment, and one of the things they do, really important, is they desensitize everyone to death. Uh, they have, uh, they call them dying hospitals, where you go to die, and when you're there, uh, they bring in the children, right? They precondition all the kids. They bring them in to laugh and play and play games, and the whole message is, hey, hey kids, death, it's no big deal. Right? You're going to end up here one day, but don't worry about it. Don't even think about it. Right? You're just going to poof out of existence. What you should focus on is the next game you're playing, the next movie, the next sexual encounter. That's, that's what the book says. You should be focused on the pleasure you can have in this life. Don't worry about death. It's pretty applicable, isn't it, to our culture, where we are being conditioned, intentionally or not, just to kind of focus on what is in front of us and to not think about the state of our eternal soul. How are we ever going to wake up from this? It's only through the word of God, preached faithfully, unpacked, preached with a sense of, of real urgency, right? Look, Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. Could be tomorrow, could be the day after, but also you're going to die. We don't know when. Could be tomorrow, could be the day after. We, we don't know, right? We really are on the brink of eternity. And if we don't have someone proclaiming the truth of Christ, and the necessity for salvation, then many, many souls will be lost. So why should it happen? Because the, the stakes are very, very high. Number three, when should it be done? Uh, I would just say at any time, right? That's what we see. Look at verse two. Just a little part. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. What a great phrase. You can kind of apply that in a bunch of different ways. Uh, culturally, there definitely have been seasons where preaching is much more uh, appetizing or people have a, a taste for it. Uh, there are other times, you might say now, where preaching is probably not something that people want to come and, and sit under and listen to. But Paul's word to Timothy is, look, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter culturally whether you are in a culture that wants to hear it or not. You need to keep preaching because of the things we just talked about. 
because human souls are in the balance. And so whether you, you feel encouraged, whether you feel like it's a hostile environment, Timothy, you need to keep at it. You can also apply this, though, uh, in a more personal, kind of like, uh, like for me, I'd say weekly, this is applicable. There are weeks where uh, I feel very ready to preach. And there are other weeks where I think I'm ready, and then I wake up Sunday morning, and I look again at my notes, and I feel like I'm, I'm not ready. I wish I had more time. I don't think this is going to go very well. And it's good to be reminded, look, when the time is there, then you, you be faithful. You preach. You trust in the Word and the Spirit. And interestingly, actually, um, I found that the times when I think that I've you know, really nailed it, everything's great, it, things actually don't go that great. And when I'm not prepared, uh, things actually go better, or I don't feel prepared. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how I felt this morning, but what I'm going to say is, um, I think that makes sense in light of what Paul was saying, because if I really feel like I have things all together, I'm probably working out of my own strength more than relying on the Spirit. And, and the thing that we really need and that we see is that it's in our weakness that his, God's power is made manifest. And so the application uh, for me certainly is to be faithful but for all of us is to recognize there are going to be lots of times when we don't feel ready. We, we, we don't feel like it's the right time. Uh, and, and yet it is the time, right, to have that conversation. To, to, you know, maybe finally someone you've been praying for and thinking about calls you up or, or shows up at your door and you're just like, it's, that's totally not, there's something else you were going to do. And, and yet that's the time. Maybe finally you get a chance to have a conversation, but they ask things that you're not ready for and you just feel like, I wish we could just pause this conversation and come back a week later, and yet that's the time. It's, when is the right time? Anytime. The time where the opportunity is there, where the door is open, we are all called to be faithful and, and to bring the gospel message to bear on whatever situation we are in, trusting that, that God will use our words because hopefully they are not really our words, but they're God's word that we have internalized and that we are sharing. So that's the when. Lastly is, is the how, right? How is Timothy to, to preach the word? And I think what we see here in the text is to do it in, in a hard and soft way, right? Both hard and soft. Uh, and I take that again from verse, verse two. He says, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So those three things, I think, could be fairly characterized as hard things, right? Uh, re reprove is like to reprimand, to rebuke is to correct, to exhort is to appeal. Uh, if that is going on, like if someone's rebuking us or, or uh, appealing to us, whatever that is, it, it usually doesn't feel great because usually what it means is that they're, there's something wrong that they, there's some, they think there's something wrong in our lives and they're trying to point it out to us. And by and large, we don't love that kind of a conversation. It, it feels hard. Why? Because our, our pride, right? It's potential to be offended, right? How could you say that? Why would you think that of me, right? Maybe, maybe we think they're wrong right away. No, it's not the way it is, right? You're misjudging me. We're on the, on the defense right away. It's a, it's a hard conversation to rebuke someone, to say it and to receive it. But the truth of the matter is that we need these kinds of conversations. If, 
If God's intention for us is to come to faith and then grow in our faith, the growing part means there's going to have to be lots of rebuking and reprimanding, right, and exhorting because we need to change. He loves us as we are, but because he loves us, we're not going to stay that way. We need to grow in our faith. And so this happens in relationship a lot of the time, right? Discipleship is really what this is all about, that you're in relationship with people who know you. Maybe they are more mature in the faith, or, or whatever it is, but they can see something. They know you well enough to say, you know what, man, we, we were reading this in the Bible and I, I wonder about this, or what do you think about that? And, and so in that, there is some reproving, some rebuking that is, uh, in a loving way, be really, really helpful. But that also happens in preaching. And in fact, I think that's why God has designed it to be a one-way exercise. Because when you're in conversation with someone and you don't like what they're saying, you can just get up and leave, right? Or you can interrupt. No, 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 that's not, no, what you're saying, it's not true. No, that's not the way it is. Let me tell you why. And then there's an argument that ensues. Uh, in preaching, it's more awkward for you to do that, right? If you were to get up and interrupt, right? You'd, probably you would feel awkward. And uh, if you were just to get up and leave, some people do that, that's fine. Maybe they're going to the bathroom. Maybe they just don't want to hear it. But, but by and large, when we sit down, we're kind of there for the sermon, which means that we are, in a sense, a captive audience, not, not for me, but for the word of God and the spirit of God to do work in our hearts. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing for us to simply receive and, and for the spirit to do what he says he will do, which is to lead us into truth, to convict us of our sin. And it's good for us to be in a situation where we can't talk back. Now, of course, we, we can harden our heart. Like, we, we can become hard and resisted. But the hope of the gospel is that God overcomes hard hearts, that he brings people from death to life spiritually. And, and that even after we've come to faith, areas of, of hardness or pride, whatever it is, that God will use his word and his spirit to, to transform us. So the preach, the preach word, there needs to be a hardness to it if it's going to be effective that there are hard verses, hard words from God to his people that need to be preached. But that doesn't mean that the preacher should be harsh. Uh, the last bit of that verse, right? That how should Timothy do this, this reproving, this correcting, all of these things, well, with complete patience, right? Complete patience and teaching. The teaching part helps us understand what is sort of the point, that we would learn something, we would grow, that it's not for the preacher, not to get something off my chest, not to sort of make a point, but that there actually would be benefit. And the complete patience part is really to reflect the disposition of God. If you think about all the people in your life that you love, that you know deeply, that you want to see grow in Christ's likeness, there's probably areas where, where you know that there's something they need to work on. Or maybe you've even talked about it. Maybe you have done some gentle exhorting or rebuking, and yet they have not changed. And so what do you do in that situation? Well, you, you are called to be patient. Uh, that is the call for a pastor as well. That, that when there are words of exhortation and rebuke, perhaps, whether it's the preached word, whether it's in discipleship, what Paul is saying to Timothy is, look, be patient. And think about Timothy. He was in a church with a lot of problems. 
right? Paul had to kick people out of this church because they were false teachers. They were causing trouble. People were uh, looking down on Timothy because he was young. He was a young pastor and they were trying to lead. He had a lot of challenges. There was a lot of opportunity for Timothy to be like, come on, people. Paul picked me. I'm in charge. You should all be listening to me. What's wrong with you? To get frustrated? What is Paul's word to him? Yeah, yes, Timothy, reprove, rebuke, preach the word, but do it with complete patience. Trusting that God will work in his good timing and that for you to be effective, you, you need to be willing to, be, to wait for, for God to work. So again, this, this hopefully is what we see in good preaching and pastoring and even for us as a church amongst each other, that we would have this patience and this faith. So that, those are the, the things, right? The what, the why, the, the when, the how. Uh, the last verse is kind of a, a summary, I would say, uh, from uh, Paul to Timothy about what his job is as a pastor, how he should do it. Verse five, no, notice the very personal, as for you, right? You, Timothy, right? What are you to do? Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Those are such helpful words. For me personally, for all those who are in ministry. I mean, those are things we should all do. But as a pastor, it's, it's helpful to be reminded. There's a, there's a pastor named Alistair Begg who just said this. He said, this has become increasingly my anchor point. That on Monday morning when I get up, whether I feel great about what happened on Sunday or not, and I ask myself, what am I to do? This is what I'm to do. To be sober-minded, to feel the weight of ministry that God has called me to to be willing to endure suffering with whatever the situation is, difficult people, opposition, personal life challenges, whatever it may be, be willing to endure and keep moving forward and to do the work of an evangelist. So interesting that he added that in there, right? Just to, just to make very clear, look, the whole goal, Timothy, is that people would come to faith, that you're proclaiming Christ, that there'd be conversions and, and salvation, and that in doing this, you would fulfill your ministry. So here's, here's my final application. There's going to be two parts. The first is for us as a church. I would say this. Um, my hope is that there would be many uh, men in this church that would feel a call to this kind of ministry, to preaching ministry. And I say that uh, for us as a church, we would love to see that happen, but also because... Uh, the, the one bottleneck point, the key bottleneck point in terms of other churches being planted and the gospel going out are, are men who are able to preach and willing to preach the gospel. Um, if you think about our lower mainland, there are so many communities where there, there is, you can't go sit down and have the Bible opened and just the word preached and the gospel clear. Why is that? It's not really a money issue, frankly. Right? We could get enough money together. It's not that there aren't churches that are willing to help. The, the key issue is leadership. And so we as a young church are seeking to, to raise up more leaders. We're partnered with churches that are farther ahead with this, with Northview, with internship programs. We want that. But my call for us specifically, and for the men here is, uh, are you called to this? I was a teacher. I thought I'd be a principal. That was my plan for my life. And yet, through being part of a local church ministry, there was, the Spirit of God began to work in me a, a sense of calling that led to this. And it's not that one is bad and one is good. It's simply that if God is calling you to this, you don't want to turn a deaf ear or a blind eye. And as a church, we need to be 
seeking to foster those. So, so I'm just saying, think about this, pray about this. If there's some sense of inkling, there's someone in the first, uh, after the second gathering, said, yeah, I'm just wondering if that's a great, let's talk about that. Let's give opportunities. That's part of the reason we're doing men's ministry the way that we're doing it. In some of the classes, there'd be other opportunities for those who have a teaching gift to grow in that. And hopefully the end goal is more churches planted, more people preaching the word in this way. That's the first application. The second application is, is for me is that I, I need your prayers for this. That, that I, I see this as a direct call on my life and that there's a lot of reasons why I would fail at this and make shipwreck of my faith, starting with my own sin, my own heart, and, and the other pressures of just life and faith and ministry. And so I thought it uh, most appropriate, uh, instead of me praying for us as a church this morning, uh, I asked Phil, one of our elders, to come. And we're going to end by him praying for me. Uh, that I would be faithful. That I wouldn't mess this up. And that, um, and that I would get God's help. So he's going to pray for all of us, but also for me. Hey, Phil. Hey, good to be here. I get to do this uh, three times today to pray for him. Yeah. So it's written out. But it's a prayer that all, that's really all of yours as well. Mm. So... Um, Bow with me and listen to the prayer and then say an amen because this is our brother who, who faithfully teaches the way he does and I'm very glad for it. So let's bow. Dear Heavenly Father, you have given us not only salvation through Jesus Christ but also the ability to speak to you in prayer. We are thankful for this. You have called us to pray for each other, and so today we pray for our Pastor Matt. We are thankful that he doesn't skip over parts of your word because they are difficult, or that there may be people who reject it. We pray that you, Lord, give him the strength, wisdom, and resolve to do the same thing Paul called Timothy to do, whether the message is popular or not. Guide him by your word and the Holy Spirit to reprove, rebuke, and exhort us with extra patience, even though he knows there may be those among us who will not respond to obey your solid holy word, yet we pray they will. However, Lord, we as a congregation are called to support Pastor Matt and his family, Don, his wife, and their sons, James, Ben, Caleb, Silas, and Thomas. May you keep the evil one away from them and us to your honor and glory. We praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Phil.